just whacking it normally. <laughs> Welcome to Seeds and Their People. I'm Chris Bolden Newsom, farmer and co-director of Sankofa Farm at Bartram's Garden in sunny southwest Philadelphia. And I'm Owen Taylor, seed keeper and farmer at True Love Seeds. We are a seed company offering culturally important seeds grown by farmers committed to cultural preservation, food sovereignty, and sustainable agriculture. This podcast is supported by True Love Seeds and by our listeners. If you'd like to support our storytelling and seed keeping, you can do so at patreon.com slash trueloveseeds. Thank you so much to our newest Patreon members, Annie and Hannah. This episode features Nital Vadalia Kakadia. Originally from the state of Gujarat in western India, Nital has been fascinated by farming and food since she was a child on her family's farm in India. These days, she tends to to beautiful gardens filled with her ancestral Indian vegetables and herbs, as well as lush native pollinator plants, fruit trees, and cut flowers at her family home in Bucks County, Pennsylvania, not too far from our home in Philadelphia. She has introduced us and the community to many Indian seeds, and so it was great to have this chance to visit her home and speak with her about her life, her beloved food plants, and even get a chance to share a delicious meal featuring bindi, war, curry leaves, amba, and so much more. Having listened to this interview a couple times, what, what, what stood out to you? Well, I think uh, more than just the interview is because uh, I've met um, Sister Nital uh, is just the deep generosity of spirit that she has. We have been guests in her home and uh, she has a very beautiful home and in a very uh, beautiful uh, and, and, and powerful garden. And I say that it's powerful because the crops that she grows are her traditional crops. I mean, some of them, some of the things I don't think are even easy to find in Indian, the Indian grocery stores that, that we might shop at, you know, the guar beans, for instance, that she grows. So, I mean, that's just the very first thing is what an what absolutely splendid hostess and matriarch Nital uh, is and, and how comfortable uh, we felt in her home. And I really loved how she introduced us to each one of her ancestral crops as though they were relatives. She took us from from, from bed to bed and talked a little bit about them. And uh, that's what I like to do at my farm, introduce my ancestral foods as relatives. And just hearing about some traditional practices in Gujarat, which is not a state in India that I've met a lot of people from, um, you know, was also really meaningful uh, to me. Uh, I know it's a very agricultural area uh, in, in India. And to me, I'm always impressed when people take it upon themselves to continue their, their, their agricultural heritage, you know, particularly because she didn't have to. She came at such a young age to this country, which is very brave, you know, for a girl of um, 16, you know, I think that she was when she came. I mean, that's a really big deal. 
And I think about that. I think about our nieces and nephews and to imagine, you know, going not just from one city to another, but to a whole different culture. And then to have the wherewithal to even in that process say that I'm going to take this enduring piece of home, my seeds and my food uh, and grow them. So for me, all of that is part of the inspiration that goes, you know, the inspiring story rather that goes into her seeds uh, and into her crops. I think that that was one of the things that stood out to me the most, that this young, brave girl, you know, would come across the ocean and then continue a work because she didn't have to. Her family went into business, uh, you know, and, and generally that, that usually in most uh, a- agricultural families that I know of, that, that signals the end of, of the farming story for a family. But the fact that she continued in Pennsylvania to grow her traditional crops to me is just absolutely powerful. Uh, and one more thing I think um, that really stood out uh, to me is that um, like so many farmers who come from the Southern Hemisphere or other places, she didn't know what she couldn't grow, you know, or, or when she couldn't grow them here in the United States, both, you know, through her because she's traveled and lived uh, in, in different parts of the United States. And I just love that she just put seeds in the ground and she was on Indian time, you know, as opposed to thinking about or knowing, you know, all of these details before she went to school for horticulture, that this has to be planted at this time. Uh, and in this way and all of those so-called rules uh, and, and just the miracle that happens every time is that the seeds grew oftentimes anyway, you know, and I think that for me, I really love to hear that story. It reminds me of a gentleman from South Carolina that I heard about out at the airport garden here in Philly who planted a pecan tree because he didn't know that folks don't grow pecans, you know, this far north. And uh, the tree is probably about 40, 50 feet tall and bears uh, pecans uh, here in Philadelphia. And I, I think a lot of that is because uh, he didn't have that fear or that lack of faith dropped into his spirit by telling him, oh, you can't do that in this zone or in this, you know, that, so all of that was very much uh, familiar to me in hearing uh, Sister Nital's story. And, and besides just the wonderful way that she delivers it and, uh, and takes us through her life and her family's life. And I brought home some some of the food from lunch for you, and I, I know that you were particularly excited about the guar or the cluster bean, and we're like, we got to grow that here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that that was I'm I'm excited about growing that because I only know of guar bean as a food additive, uh, you know, in in all kinds of uh, prepared foods and maybe even some junk foods, and it was just a deep reminder that, like so many parts of of our cultures in a colonized land that crops and species that have been our familiar and and helpful relatives for centuries have been so often taken out of context uh, commodified their story erased you know and, and like so much of, of of our own traditional cultures uh, oftentimes the the material part gets sort of used and and then the story the narrative that fills it out becomes erased, just like the guar gum in a box of coconut milk or something. You know, so it's a stabilizer. It's no longer, uh, you know, a nourishing, exciting food that 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 carries with it lifetimes and lifetimes of memory and and traditions and story. It it so yeah. Just hearing that really reminded me of how 
um, you know, this process happens both with our stories, with our cultures, and 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 our whole lives. Oftentimes, in this uh, colonialist context, which is why it's so important. Uh, I think that what we're doing and what Nital is doing and what she's going to talk about in this wonderful interview. And in this episode, you'll also hear a couple of voice recordings from True Love Seeds apprentice Tika Jagged and her father, Mr. Krutar Jagged, who are also from Gujarat, and Nital's responses. And at the end, our son Brian asks Nital and her husband Dinesh's son Soham a couple questions about his favorite traditional foods. Now we start the story in Nital's living room. Hi, my name is Nital. Uh, I am um, from the western part of India, the state of Gujarat. I grew up there until the age of 16, and um, I migrated here, and I've been here since. Um, Currently, we live in um, the suburbs of Philadelphia, and I have a garden, and I grow all the vegetables that we consume. So um, growing up in India, I come from from both sides of my family, a line of farmers. My ancestors were all farmers. Specifically, when you say India and western part of India and, and the people who we are, we are considered farmers. So that's, that's, that's what people did, uh, my people. My grandmother from the maternal side, she used to um, go to everybody's fields because that's what you did as farmers. Harvest time, you help each other. And she would just go harvest. And then, of course, my both of them, my maternal grandmother and grandfather, they farmed their own fields. Um, and then on my paternal side, before my grandfather, I think it was my grandfather, maybe he did some farming, but what I've been told is they went into business uh, early on. I don't know what business they had before I was born, but um, we were in the oil industry, and so they did that. But I think the roots were so strong that my grandfather and my father they purchased and they always had farmland. They just hired people to work the, the farmland. And so I grew up around farms. Like every weekend, that's all we did was just drive up to the farm. And we would just play all day in the fields. And that's what we did. And then the food was harvested from the fields. And that was our lunch. And that was our dinner. And then we would take that food, you know, the extra, the harvest that was delivered to the house that my mom would cook. And I remember um, those Sundays because we had Saturday schools. (laughs) So Sundays, my dad would just take me around the field, especially in winter, because in India, most of the crops are grown in winter times, specifically where we are from. And so he would actually test me based on the leaves um, just by looking at the morphology of the plant, what identify which plant is this in the field. And, you know, it was just all, all three of us, you know, my siblings and I, but it was just I who was so intrigued by it. My siblings were just busy playing. And so he, he loved to quiz me. And I was just always fascinated by this world of 
agriculture and just plants and food. I think the main part is growing up, which was truly farm to table. And of course we had cattle too, buffaloes. And so we got the milk from that delivered to the house, which my mom, you know, uh, she used to sell, she used to make ghee out of it, sell the ghee. And so that's how we grew up. And I just love to do, carry on all the things my parents did. Of course, I cannot do everything. Um, I'm limited in terms of... Ghee. Ghee, yeah. <laughs> I do make my own ghee, but with the Costco butter. <laughs> I don't have a cow. <laughs> but yeah, um, so it was, it, uh, it's great. And then, of course, coming here after, you know, I turned 16, um, I was in high school at that time. I did my 11th and 12th year. And, um, you know, whatever teenagers do, I did. Um, after that, I went to college. Uh, I dropped out of college and I married young. I moved to California in 2000. Um, and I was a young mom. I had my daughter, I was pregnant at 21. I had my daughter at 22. The county that we lived in was Santa Clara County at that time. And one time I remember my daughter, she was probably, I believe she was a year old or I think year and a half. And I just went to my local hardware store. Well, the county had set up tables to educate people on growing their food and how you should do it they had this whole brochure and booklets that they were giving out. And so I don't know what striked me. And I just like stood there and I was like, okay, I'm, I just picked up those things. I took them home. I read up on that. And then I went to my local library. I got so many books on gardening in containers because at that time I was living in an apartment in Sunnyvale, California. I had not much space. So I just bought reading those books, I realized you can grow food in massive containers. So I filled my this very tiny balcony, I would say it was 12 by six feet. It was so small, but it was like pots everywhere. Uh, even, you know, I grew tomato. That's where I started growing tomatoes, peppers, cucumbers, and I'm not sure if you know, we, we love fenugreek too. So fenugreek leaves. So I grew fenugreek, cilantro. That's how I started. And I was 22, 23 at that time. And it's just, this bug just took over me that, okay, now I, now I have to, as a parent, young parent, feed my child something that's fresh. It's um, organic. Uh, organically grown and um, just just first try to grow and eat what you're growing but if you cannot then we were very lucky to have so many wonderful farmers markets in the bay area that you know you know and then you have a connection with the farmers you make because you see them on a weekly basis so i was very lucky and so that's what i used to do i used to stop i used to buy everything from the farmers market and then, you know, is to grow whatever I could grow. And of course, it's very limited in what you can grow in containers. But then um, I think I was 27 when we bought a house in the Central Valley. 
and we had a backyard. That's when I just went crazy. <laughs> I went crazy. I started growing everything and anything. I first thing I did was I told my dad, I want all the seeds that, you know, we grew up with because I want I want to eat those vegetables. It's the the okra, which is called the bindi, the loki, which is a bottle gourd. Um, we have also, we have, um, it's called duria. It's, I don't know what kind of gourd it's called. I forget. Uh, the loofah, the loofah, basically. Uh, we eat that, the duria and the galka. So I wanted to grow all those vegetables. Um, and so I was lucky that my dad could send me those seeds. And um, I just started experimenting. I would um, sow the seeds literally on New Year's Day in California inside. And then by March, I had them big enough to just plant them outside. And that's what we ate. And um, I had lots of fruit trees, but of course, not Indian fruit trees. Mm -hmm. uh, and then in... Um, 2017 January I moved to this area Bucks County Pennsylvania and um, of course I was so ignorant thinking I know how to grow things <laughs> I started the same way I did in California in in January I started sowing seeds my husband's like, I think you're making a mistake. And I was like, no, I know what I'm doing. <laughs> I've been doing this for many years. <laughs> but lucky, the winter of 2017 was very mild. And so I managed to plant everything in March. And I am I still cannot believe that they all survived. <laughs> what a brave person, I think, at that time. <laughs> But then I then I told my husband, I was like, look, I told you. And he, he just didn't know what to say. But the following year, I tried to do the same. Everything was destroyed because there was frost. <laughs> I think, um, and then I realized, okay, you have to wait till Mother's Day to plant everything. And now I have been pushing on uh, the date to when to start because you don't have to start that early here. But yeah, and then of course, when I moved here, I was going to school in uh, California. I had uh, started going to school for uh, nutrition because I really was very, and I still am, very passionate on what food we consume and food as medicine and also farm to table concept. And so um, when I moved here, um, I couldn't find a very good school for nutrition that I would like to go and so then I decided okay the another next passion is of course plants so I got a degree in horticulture and um, that taught me a lot of science behind the plants which I did not know and I'm fascinated by it and I'm glad I'm glad I got a chance to do that and learn about the plant world so that was part of my family and my story but my husband's uh, family, they're, you know, generational farmers as close as my in-laws. So they actually worked the fields. They grew all the food. They sold that food. That was their livelihood. And so when they moved to the city, I believe my husband was actually 10 when they moved to the city. Um, they, they brought their seeds. <laughs> 
And I think it's very easy once you know people, you're always going to be able to get those seeds. And so they they started growing their seeds in their terrace. So the terrace in India is the topmost open floor of the house because it's so hot. Every home has a terrace on the top. And so they just put big um, old water barrels. And these are like giant water tanks. They just filled it up with dirt. <clears throat> and that's how they grow till today. They grow uh, all of the vegetables that they consume. They hardly buy, I think only in the winter, uh, summer months is when they have to buy because it's so dry. But otherwise they just eat whatever they grow, both of them. And so when they come visit, they always bring seeds. When I went to India in 2017, after 19 years, I was lucky to see that, how my mother-in-law grew all her vegetables and my father-in-law. and. I brought home a lot of seeds with me. <laughs> um, yeah, so those are the seeds I use to grow because, um, again, in India, it's very tricky in terms of um, seeds because I'm not sure when this happened timeline-wise, but I would believe in the 80s or 90s when Monsanto came in and started giving farmers all GMO seeds. <clears throat> of course, I don't know much about it, so I wouldn't try to <laughs> say much on that topic. But I do know that in 2017, when I did go, told my dad, I said, I want to buy, you know, I gave him a whole list of seeds that I wanted to take back. And he took me to the store and all I could find was these GMO seeds. They were all just coated, you know, with the pesticides or insecticides and I was like, I don't want these. Uh, and sadly, my dad says, well, this is all you will find in a store at this time. And so I was lucky that I went to my mother-in-law and she had the seeds that I asked her, where did you get the seeds from? She says, oh, I've been growing for such a long time. We just save our own seeds. I did ask her to make sure that these seeds are the heirloom seeds that, you know, they used to grow back in, in the villages and stuff. So she says yes. But then again, I don't know. I cannot 100% verify because, again, in India, if it cross-pollinates, you know, people are growing next door. We don't know. We, we can't guarantee. But according to her, she says yes. Those are the seeds that they have been uh, growing for generations. Uh, I mean, the plants that they've been growing and then saving the seeds. So the bindi, you were able to share some of the seeds from your mother-in-law with us. Mm -hmm. um, I remember you told me you asked us to grow them yes. because you were having a hard time here because... We eat them. <laughs> we, I cannot share those because I hardly uh, save my enough seeds for myself. And we we love it so much. And then, of course, what I do is once I grow, we eat during the summer. But then I grow enough so we can consume it in the winter, too. And so it's hard to save the seeds. That's why I told you, you, you love to grow it yourself. <laughs> yeah, we have that relationship with a few people and communities where they're like, 
we're gonna eat every bit of this. So yeah. you here's a few seeds. <laughs> you can be the seed keeper. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I, it's a role that I'm excited to play. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad what you know True Love Seeds is doing. Actually, I really admired it the minute. I came to visit you through my friend um, Amira, and I heard about you guys. And I said, "Yeah, I have to come to the farm and check it out. What you guys are doing." And of course, Amira, being so passionate about what she's doing, it's amazing. And so I was, I was always intrigued by what she really wants to do, and I really admire what she's doing. And so I said, I have to come to the farm, check it out. And then I met you and I was really fascinated by, you know, what True Love is doing in terms of saving seeds for people from all over the world, different cultures. And so I was like, okay, I got to be part of this. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. Amira Mitchell, yes. our dear friend, worked with True Love for many years, still does. And now from her own farm. Mm -hmm growing seeds for our catalog she says hi she says please come visit well i want to and i'm going to actually this summer i'll make a point <laughs> <laughs> but when you came and, and we got to show you our farm and you handed us seeds to care for you know we started regenerating them and offering them through the catalog and there's a nursery in oakland california back in the bay area uh kula nursery Kula in Sanskrit means ancestors. So it's really focused on South Asian heirloom plants in particular. And so they were really excited to see the Indian bindi in our catalog and then offer it through their nursery. They're offering a lot of our varieties to their nursery now, oh, nice. um, not, not, not even just South Asian. And they're growing the Loki bottle gourd for our catalog. Anyway, so I asked um, Z. Hussein, who runs the nursery, if, if she had any comments or questions since we'd be having this conversation. And she says she's found that variety to be cherished among their community and extremely difficult to find in the U.S. Exclamation point. Uh, it would be really cool to hear about how her family stewarded that variety over the generations. And so we've gotten into that a little. Yes. Is there anything that you can add to that story? My mother-in-law and my father-in-law would be able to answer more of that. And of course, they're not here. But whatever she has told me is, again, they have just, in India, it just is, it's more economical to save your own seeds versus to buy. And so that is what they did. It's just save their own seeds um, and then if they, that year for whatever reason it was a bad crop or what they couldn't then they asked their neighbors which they also did the same and so um, that's all I know about where the seeds come from in terms of what I'm growing mm -hmm. but um, yeah I wonder if you know if there's a certain trait that they look for in the bindi or that you look for as you're stewarding this crop. So what they look for, no, uh, because in India, we don't have so many varieties of, say, bindi um, as we do here. They just know one, and that's the Indian bindi. Um, so it, it's tender. It's thin and long not super long semi-long it's medium-sized and the fruit is sweet and nutty at the same time and delicious which you're gonna try right now but this is from the store <laughs> you've already run out of your 
frozen yes. okra oh yes it's done now and now it's time to you know of course it's the garden has started so hopefully soon <laughs> <laughs> but i had to run to the indian store to get some um yeah so i actually would not be able to say what they're looking for but for personally i i want to grow that indian bindi that i grew up with and what i saw in in my farm and at the market and so it, that is because of the texture the taste and it's more tender and it's more delicious i also brought you now the guvar mm -hmm. something i learned about from you mm -hmm. which i really appreciate and you i forget how how you told me but at some point you were like by the way yeah. if you really want to make the indian diaspora excited <laughs> yeah. um, and reunite them with an important food you should look into guar gum right. uh, and so we did and i was able to find some seeds at caribbean garden seed mm. and they grew and we had them in our garden last year and then we got a lot of seeds from them and so this year we have um, a, a 50 foot row, you know, maybe um, 100 plants uh, sprouting in the ground. And I brought a bunch of the seeds for you here. And I just wanted to thank you for introducing us to that because I know it's something that many people are really excited to find. And we've already met some of those people. So thank you. Thank you so much first for bringing me the seeds because this is something it's like Christmas, you know, Owen came with a whole bag of seeds. <laughs> That's amazing. And having guar, um, I have had so many challenges growing guar here over the years. And of course, <clears throat> the seeds that my mother-in-law had given me when I tested them in the garden all these years, I basically depleted the whole bag and I was not successfully able to grow them. But last year when my mother-in-law came to visit, she went to Texas to a friend. And she says, oh, my daughter-in-law wants some seeds of guar. Um, and she only grows things organically. And they're like, oh, so do we. And again, I don't know where they got the seeds from. Of course, from India. But how and the story of the seeds. But then now I have that seed. And it was pretty good. But I told you to grow guar because I was struggling growing guar. And I was like, man, this stuff and of course, the part of India that we come from, the Western side, we are the Gujaratis. We are from the state of Gujarat. And we love our guar. And of course, you're going to try that too today. <laughs> Again, from the Indian store. <laughs> but um, so we actually had a U-Pick farm um, here in Bucks County that stopped growing guar. And all the, all the people from this community used to love going there and stock up for the year because guar one is very hard uh, to find second good guar. Number two, it's expensive. And so if you find a Yupik farm and you can save for the year fresh from the fields, Hey, people are going to flock to it. And so I was like, Owen, you got to do this. <laughs> you got to get these seeds and you got to grow them. Uh, and then there are lots of Indian um, gardeners that we know of that are always, you know, asking for seeds and guar is on top of their list because that is so hard to find and grow. And um, so that's, I'm so glad you're growing this. 
It's not a plant I'd ever seen before. I've heard, of course, heard of guar gum because it's like an ingredient and everything, a thickener. And, but I never thought to know the plant. And so it's been a fun journey. I'm wondering if you can tell people a little bit about the plant. It is um, from the Fabaceae family. And Fabaceae family, if you're not aware of or familiar with, it's part of the legume family. So it is a nitrogen fixing. So there's another plus to growing guar. Um, and then also there are the pods. It has these bean pods. And then you want to harvest them. They actually grow like fingers in bunches. Um, and then the, the more you want to pick them at the tender stage before it starts uh, really forming the seeds and the venation on the pod because then the pods become too tough to eat. It's kind of like a sugar snap peas. But again, when we harvest the sugar snap peas, we we still have the venation. You don't want that in the guar. So very tender. We pick them and we just make, um, just, just stir fry or just cook into vegetable. You can add, you can just make guar or you can add potatoes and, or we also use, we use chickpea flour a lot in India. I mean, the Western part of India. And so we make these little dumplings out of the chickpea flour to add into the guar. And so it's made in different ways, but we love it with roti. Um, it's a great vegetable. One of my apprentices last year, Tika, uh, her father is Indian and she was taking care of that row mm-hmm. and it was like slowly dawning on her that this was a very important vegetable in her family and that she had grown up eating it and hadn't seen it growing before. And she sent me a couple of voice recordings that I want to play for you with her father. Hi, my name is Krutar Jagad. I'm from Gujarat, India. And I came here in 1988. So when um, I started working at True Love with Owen and the team, I noticed that we were growing this crop called Borgum, and I never heard of it before. I didn't really, it didn't register. And then as it started to grow, I noticed it right away. And I saw that it was something that I ate at home, but we never really learned the name of crops or food that we would eat. Like I know we would eat it growing up, like Karishma would say Indian milk instead of masala milk. So I just knew like, oh, this is like the Indian string bean, but I didn't know what the name was. So I guess when I called you, what was your response? And like, how do you feel now that I'm growing Indian crops, but also like farming in general? Well, when I heard you, you called me and you asked me that all oh, about this uh, vegetable and we talked about guar and I was very happy that you were doing something like that. And as you know, I always like things that you make, which is productive for society as well as it is good for you as well as a hobby. So I was very thrilled that you are you were involved in that. And especially when you talked about the Indian vegetables. So I know that if you can grow something right here so that all Indian 
population has access to it and which is fresh vegetables. So that would be nice for everybody. Since we've been talking about it so much, it would be good for other people to know, like, what is this? How do you make it? How do you like to eat it? Yes. So generally, Indian people cook it as they we call a shak. And that means it's a, it's a sabji in Hindi. So what we do is we pressure cook it so that it becomes soft. And then we add different spices such as uh, mustard, cumin, uh, red pepper powder, uh, turmeric, uh, cumin, and um, coriander powder and salt and a little oil cooked oil and hot oil in it and that's how you make it you can also make it like a, you can add a little more water so make, make it soupy but uh you know it's a preference whoever likes however you yeah know. you like yours dry more that's yes. how we eat it yes yes i like dry yeah so that's similarly that's how we cook it and he's right on in Gujarati, it is called shak, shak meaning vegetable. And um, so I cook mine, and that's how my mom, my mother-in-law, they all cook guar, is with Indian aniseeds. We don't put mustard and cumin in there. We, um, we actually, you know, heat up the oil, and then we let the anise release its oil in the oil, and we put garlic with all the spices, like, you know, turmeric and um, um, chili powder. And we do coriander powder and cumin powder in it. And then we just add the guar and we pressure cooker it. And of course, we like it dry too. We don't do the soupy version. And it's delicious. <laughs> Can't wait to try it. Yes. <laughs> One reason I wanted to play involve them was just, again, to show how your relationship to true love is is rippling out yeah so see that it's so fascinating to see what seeds seeds have i feel uh, agenda of their own they just want to spread <laughs> their love and um i'm so glad that these seeds are getting to people who before this were not able to get them and to grow them and so thank you Owen for doing this really it means a lot and you know thanks for all you guys are doing and there I know there are so many people out there you know so passionately working towards uh, saving diaspora seeds it's yeah. amazing and every, every one of us is a piece of the puzzle we, yeah. we couldn't do this work with the bindi or the guar or the you know the eggplants you know without you <laughs> carrying that on in your family i would love to go outside to the garden but i do hear a lawnmower <laughs> it's, it's, it's non-stop summer months <laughs> maybe we risk it yeah, and we just let people know we're we are surrounded by grass lawns yes. curry tree muraya koniji 
this. Yeah, curry and tree. I got burned because I brought it outside and just put it in direct sunlight. But yeah, these are curry leaves, and I cook with it almost every single day. And like is it coming? It. Is it coming up from the roots, or are those yes. from berries? No, no, from roots. Yeah, I haven't gotten any berries yet, but it's from the roots. Yeah. What is your your trick? I remember last time we were here, mm -hmm. your curry tree was looking so luscious and beautiful. Ours has an issue with spider mites. Oh yeah, I get them in the winter often. So what I do is I just get rid of all the leaves. And then I just hose it down with, um, just put soapy water. And then sometimes what I do is I also take a rag and um, soak it with... Um, 70% alcohol and water mixture and then just wipe with that rag I just wipe all the stems so if there is any spider mites left they're gone and they come back they come back so fast this year it's looking so sad but hopefully now as I brought it outside it'll come back to its glory <laughs> yes I was just listening to an interview with Kula Roots with Z and um, she was talking about how you cannot kill a curry plant uh, they can lose all its leaves over and over and it'll always basically come back. Yeah. So when I first um, moved here to Pennsylvania, my husband had gotten this, um, a tiny stem. I think that's what it was. It was a very sad old stem in a pot of a curry plant. And I was like, what is this? And he's like, yeah, it's a curry plant. And I was like, oh my God, it's so bad. It's like, there was no, there's no leaf whatsoever. And then I guess I repotted it and within weeks I just started seeing changes and it's growing taller and then I keep cutting it down and it's been doing well. <laughs> <laughs> well how will you use these leaves? So I, uh, we use it in all, all of our cooking. Anything, so if I make snacks, dried snacks, I fry the curry leaves. If I make um, dals, dals are lentils. It's kind of soupy lentil soups, and I put them in our dals. I may I put them in, um, say, fried rice, Indian fried rice. So anything and everything. It's it's in everything. If we make chutneys, we fry them and put them in there. And so when you when I say fry, I think I temper them, not fry fry them. But yeah. Can you explain that? Yeah, so we heat up the oil, we put the mustard seeds, or if we're doing cumin, mustard, um, or other whole spices, like say cloves, cinnamon, and then we just add these fresh leaves in there with the chilies, and they splatter in the oil, and they release their oils into the oil, and that creates that flavor, that depth of scent and flavor. I don't know, it's, it's so good. It's so hard to explain. <laughs> so it sounds like what my partner, Chris, describes as impregnating the oil. Exactly. Yep. Uh-huh. That's how we cook with the curry leaves and the spices. Because that, that's where you get that maximum flavor. Here comes those oh, yard, yard machines. <laughs> <laughs> Bindi. Okra. Abelmoscus esculentus. This is the bindi, the okra, the Indian okra that we're growing. Um... I have multiple beds of this okra because we cannot have enough of them. Guar, cluster bean. Siamopsis tetragonoloba. I have multiple beds of guar because, of course, we cannot have enough guar as well. 
and um, so these ones came from Texas yeah these seeds came from Texas that I grew last year and I we were not able to eat them so I because I wanted to save the seeds and this is this is what we have mm -hmm. and then so it's a short legume it's got these pink light pink flowers going up the stem getting ready for those clusters of, of pods mm -hmm. so right now about six inches tall but they're looking pretty good. They look more advanced than ours right now. Oh, I, I, and I started so late this year. Watch your step. Ratalu, purple yam, Dioscorea alata. Okay, this is one thing I want to talk about. This is the first year I'm growing it. This, I do not know the scientific name and the variety or anything. Is All I know, yes, it is a purple yam. And it is in Gujarati, it's called Rataru. And it's, it does not grow or in the part of Gujarat where I'm from, but you know, where my mother-in-law lives now, Surat, they actually, um, you know, it's native. I don't know if it's native actually, but that's where it grows. And they make this special dish called undiu in India, surti undiu, and they cannot not make the undiu without this rataru. And um, I bought it at the Indian store in the winter, and I just held on to it uh, till late spring. And um, I just started sprouting it indoors in the winter months. And now, and then I planted it as soon as you know I was able to after Mother's Day. And this is what it is. Um, it's purple. I will show you a picture of what it looks like. And it's delicious. It's it's slimy once you cut cut into it, but once you fry it up, and then you add it to your curries and stuff, it's delicious. And so this is something fascinating to grow. And again, this is my first year. I think it's the genus Diascora, which is the the true yam. Oh. The African yams are this genus. And may, I wonder if it's the same as what's called ube. Hmm. We'll have to look we it can, up. Yeah, we'll have to look it up. But it 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 looks like somebody's. Big, Bigfoot's foot, <laughs> it's, and it's purple. <laughs> and it looks like it's growing. It's already taller, as tall as me, up this trellis, and it's growing with lab lab. Uh, yes, that's the Indian lab lab. Lab lab, or hyacinth bean. Lab lab purpureus. It's white. Uh, it's I mean green. It's not purple lab lab. Yeah. And then we added to this um, undiu that I'm talking about. It's kind of like a stew, Indian stew, mm. with a whole array of vegetables. Mm. And it's usually they make it in the winter months because in India we get fresh vegetables during the winter months. Mm -hmm. White eggplant, Solanum melongena. So these are the eggplants, the white eggplants that um, these three. Uh, that I, you know, shared the seeds that my mother-in-law had given them. We roast the eggplant, the white eggplants. They're so sweet. We roast them and we make uh, bengan ka bharta. In Indian restaurants, that's what it's called. But in our side, there's a different name to it. Uh, basically, you're just roasting the eggplant on open flames. You're, you're taking off the skin, you're taking that pulp, and uh, you're cooking it in garlic and tomatoes and onions and just garnishing it uh, with cilantro and then, of course, 
root vegetables. I mean, sorry, spices, not root vegetables, spices. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think the lawnmower has gotten me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I wonder if they'll stop. Let's wait again. Here we decided to go inside, have lunch, and wait out the lawn work noises. Nital explained that most Indian restaurants in the United States cook food that is from northern or southern India, and that the Gujarati food I would eat at her house would not likely be found at a restaurant. This is because it is specific to her region and to her people in particular. I know India has a caste system, and so we are the farmers, the Patels mm -hmm. of the western side of India, the Gujarat, and so this is our food. Mm. So I want you to try. So this is guar with potatoes. Uh, you see how tender these pods that I harvested are? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we just yeah, they're thin. Yeah, very thin. You can and barely see the seeds. Yep. And then, so there's no fiber. Otherwise, it would be very tough to eat. Mm -hmm. So try that. And this is the okra. See, very. Mm. And then we eat it with um, roti. <laughs> it's <Wow>. spicy. <laughs> it's awesome. That is yogurt. No, is... it's not too spicy. This is very okay. spicy, but it's not too spicy. <laughs> <laughs> and we eat it with um, roti. So, mm. you know, you, you don't want to just. Well, I wanted to get the full flavor. Okay, okay. You know. Yeah, but I don't want you to burn your mouth. <laughs> I'll so, eat the rest with roti. Roti, and then we also have um, chas or buttermilk. Mm -hmm. Let's see. So that can help you, you know, consume the spicy yes. food. <laughs> yeah, so the spice. It, well, I see it's probably turmeric. Mm -hmm. And chili powder. Ch the turmeric and chili powder. Yes, and then, of course, um, coriander powder and cumin powder. Mm-hmm. But then again, we I put anise seeds in there mm -hmm. with garlic. Okay, so the okra is in these little strips. Mm -hmm. They look darkened. Yes. And what caused that? That's just cooking process. Mm -hmm. I darken it. Um, so basically, you just pan fry it in oil, a little bit of oil, add garlic to it, mm -hmm. and asafoetida. And then I just saute it with um, turmeric and chili powder and salt. Mm -hmm. And then I just, actually I do put Amchur. Amchur is dried green mango powder. It gives the tanginess. And, you know, adding liquid to okra creates the sliminess. So I add the dry powder, which gives you the tanginess instead of a lime or lemon. And, yeah. Oh, it's really good. This is dokla from where we live. It's called kamban dokra. So should I... Do you want to try yes, it? Please. Okay. Are you saying this is chickpea flour? It looks like eggs. Yeah, I know. It's chickpea flour fermented, and um, we just steam it. And so it's sponge cake, basically, but it's savory versus sweet. And then you see the curry leaves on top, the sesame. This is all local foods to where we're from. This is coriander chutney. And this is um, what Annabelle from Iraqi Seeds, Seeds Collective. Collectives was mentioning that they also eat amba. 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 Mm -hmm. So, of course, amba is mango in Hindi. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, it's a mango pickle and with the spices. So, I just make it with the homegrown garlic and the mango from the Indian store because we cannot grow mango here. But this is the homegrown garlic inside with all the spices and the oil, so you try it. 
I love how dry this uh, yes. okra is. Mm -hmm. We always cut them in like rounds, we basically. We do that too. We do that too. But my husband, he prefers this one, this way. This is more work. <laughs> but then huh? I like to feed people, so. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm going to try this way. Okay. It's, it's really nice. And let me just try this one mm -hmm. last. What did you call the chickpea flour? Dogra. It's common dogra. Mm. Mm. The flavors, it's like such a good bed for these mm -hmm. flavors. Yeah. Like this spongy. Yeah. Um, kind Very of. Sweet, s sour, spicy taste, and the nutty taste too of the, the chana flour. Uh, did you ferment the chana flour? No. Sorry. No, I did not. Because I don't have time right now. <laughs> so I, I did a shortcut. I actually bought um, an instant mix, and then I just steamed it. Where's your favorite place to get things like this? The Indian grocery store. So we were lucky we have one uh, literally like six minutes away from here. Yeah, on 309. Have you ever tried planting any of the things you buy there, like from the packages? Yeah, like I do the fenugreek seeds, which is methi. Today I did not make anything with fenugreek, but otherwise... We love our fenugreek, so I just harvested two whole beds of fenugreek. My beds are eight by two and a half, and so I did two whole beds, which is like four huge, the gallon-sized Ziploc bags, and I freeze it for the year because we add it into so many different dishes. And so I just, and then fenugreek grows best in the springy weather and the fall weather. So that's when I just maximize and I just do that. Then we, I also grow chickpeas, the white chickpeas and the black chickpeas in the garden, which will go back in the garden and I'll show them to you. And then any kind of beans I feel like if I want to grow, like black eyed peas I did the first year I moved here. That was from the Indian store. And so, yeah, those things sprout well. And then coriander, if I run out of the seeds that my mother-in-law gave me, I just use the ones from the Indian store and I just plant those. I had never like thought of that before until I was working in New York City with community gardens. And there were, especially the gardens where there were a lot of Puerto Rican and Dominican mm -hmm. people, I would see like the Goya bags, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. and they were just planting the cilantro, planting the beans. And it worked. Yeah, it works. And it's, it's so much cheaper than you go and buy those seeds. So, and plus, it's hard to find those seeds sometimes from a seed company here in the U.S. I mean, there are a few that are like you, True Love Seeds, are keeping the seeds. So please, go to True Love Seeds. <laughs> okay, we're back in the garden. The lawnmower people have moved on. <laughs> we just had a delicious meal. And we're going to take another walk around and learn about the plants that are most important in this home so again okra is like a staple the eggplant is another staple crop transcutucu peanuts from the shuar people of ecuador arachis hipogea peanuts were again if you know during lunch my husband was telling you his family grew a lot of peanuts and most all gujarati farmers peanuts was on top of growing because it you know it produces oil and we use peanuts in so many different things so yeah peanuts was big so I grow peanuts I grow chickpeas 
Uh, the Indian chickpeas. And you you grow the peanuts from Ecuador that we offer. What do you, how do you feel about those particular peanuts? So I actually grow the Indian peanuts from the Indian store and the Ecuadorian, but this year it's only the Ecuadorian ones because I find them to be very sweet and delicious. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to just keep that one because I need that space. Uh, so this year it's only been the Ecuadorian ones and I love them. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> They're like jewels. Let's check out your um, chickpeas. Yeah. Chana, chickpeas. Chicher arietinum. So these are the chickpeas and let's see if there are any chickpea pods. Um, maybe not yet because it's a little early but then I don't see any. Yeah, no, no more. No more. Not yet. We don't have pods yet. But we just take the pods, the green pods, and we just uh, dry roast them in a, in a wok. Uh, the skin, outside skin gets blistery. And the steam from cooking cooks the pods inside. I mean, sorry, the, the, the beans inside the pod. And they're so sweet and delicious. They're sweet and nutty at the same time. Really good. Try it if you get a chance. Because some Asian markets and Indian stores, they do have the green pods. You just dry roast them in a wok. It's delicious. I'm going to try that. How do you know when they're ready to eat? Um, like in the, in the plant? Oh, I guess both. I meant in the pan, but maybe both. Okay, so in the, when you're growing them, the pods, they have to like really fill out. Like you can feel the pods. If they're very squishy and airy, they're not ready. You have to let the pod be full with that seed, with the bean. So opposite of the guar. Yes, it's the opposite of the guar. And then when you cook it and it's the skin gets all blistery outside, it's like semi-blistery. You want some green and some blisters. Um, so it's maybe 10 minutes of just dry roasting them, cooking them in the wok, and that's it, done. Mm -hmm. yeah. I love how you have all these multiple crops in one bed. Yeah. And I like have three sisters, I have the four sisters sometimes. So I have the sunflower, the corn, the, the beans. See the lab lab is growing in the support of the sunflower. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I just try to follow those things, that way I can grow multiple things mm -hmm. on this in space and again because I store the food for the year I want to maximize on how much I can grow mm -hmm. and then see the corn with the lab lab mm -hmm. and the zucchini right yeah. you got the corn beans and squash pigeon pea Kayanus Kayan and these are our true love seeds crop that I grow every year now the first few years when I was growing um, the pigeon peas you know, that's a staple in our culture, from the Western culture of India, and actually India in general. Pigeon peas is a very important crop. And so first, when I used to use the seeds that my mother-in-law gave me, it would produce flour in October. And by the time it would start producing the seeds, the frost came and just knocked down the plant. So it just didn't help. But with your seeds, oh, it's amazing. <laughs> I get, like my mother-in-law, she was here last summer and she says, what? You were able to get so much. And I was like, yeah, it's, these are not the Indian seeds. These are from the, you know, uh, the ones that True Love's gave me. Right. And well, ours came from an Indian 
professor in Georgia who bred them to yeah. be day length insensitive. Yeah. And so they're unlike most pigeon pea seeds you'd find yeah. in the world, they don't wait till October to flower right. because the day it does not matter what length the day is. Right. So they don't need to wait until they start getting shorter. They start flowering right away. Right away. And that's amazing. Yeah, we actually found another one last year which has roots in Puerto Rico, mm -hmm. but has been grown in New Jersey for 50 years. Wow. And so I'll get you those seeds for next oh, year. Oh, okay. Yeah, we got to try that. And they're, these ones are striped, uh -huh. and and the ones we found are just green. Okay. And so they're two different types. Nice. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's exciting. Fenugreek. Trigonella fenum grecum. And then these were the fenugreek beds. Mm. And um, so we eat the leaves. See the leaves? We eat the leaves and they're delicious in, um, in curries and it's just, it's a very, and breads, it's very, very tasty. Can I ask you about both of these crops, the pigeon pea and the fenugreek? Also a legume, right? Yeah, it's a legume. Um, how you use each of them? Uh, so the fenugreek, we use it, uh, we just mainly eat the leaves. And um, so we can we eat it, eat it like spinach. It has more, more. It's on the more bitter side. But again, it's it's an acquired taste. It's very delicious. And of course, a lot of curries also add it as a finishing um, thing to the sauce because it's really good. And we add it in our breads. So mostly leaves, but we do eat the seeds. And tempering, we use the seeds to temper with. Like when you heat the oil, you add the little fenugreek seeds along with mustard and cumin seeds. And then it creates this aroma and the flavor in, in the oil and in the curry itself. And then with the um, pigeon peas, we eat the dry, we make into a dal, like a soup. Um, but the fresh green ones, we put it in... You know, I was telling you about surat and their main dish called undiu, where we use that yam. Well, this is one of the main ingredients in that. And um, so we use it, the green pods, the green beans, the pigeon green, green pigeon peas in our stews. Surti papri. Labla purpureus. And then this one, uh, Owen, I wanted to show you and then see if this year if I can save some seeds for you, that would be great. It's called surti, again, that undiu that we, I was talking about, the main dish, the stew of surat. This is called surti papri. It's a kind of legume, it's a bean. And that also Indians like go gaga over. So if you can grow that for seeds, that would be great. Um, once I save enough, I can share with you. Carella, bitter melon. Momordica charantia. And then again, bitter melon. Mm -hmm. um, and then, yeah, this is the bumpy one I'm imagining? Yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> Why do you prefer that? Um, the smooth one does not have that bitterness or the flavor that we Indians, um, I mean, grew up with, I guess. We feel it's got more flavor. <laughs> or maybe it's just us that we think that's what flavor is. <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, it's, we just, I'm just growing it because that's what we are used to. Because I did try growing the, the smooth one. 
but it it wasn't a hit in the family. So I was like, okay, we'll just grow this one. Yeah, they're very different from yeah, each very other. Different. Lauki, Barogoa, Lagenaria, Cicheraria. And this is Lauki, of course. Mm. It grows like wildfire. Like, look at this. It's already like. Yeah, lots of little fruits already. Yes. It's, it's all over it. All over. Oh, yeah. So it's a it bottle grows. gourd, which is the same species as Cucuza in Italy. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and it's eaten throughout a lot of the world. And also, people often eat the leaves. Do you all eat the leaves of this? Oh, no. I had no idea we could eat the leaves. Yeah. I had no knowledge of that. Okay. So, how do they eat the leaves? I personally haven't done it, but people mm -hmm. have showed me that it's the tender new growth. Yeah. And I know with different squash species, you have to pull a kind of vein or string off. I don't know if that's true for this one, too. Oh, okay. I want to say that it's called... <laughs> I'm sure I'm remembering this wrong, but it might be called tenderoni. Tenderoni? <laughs> 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 I'm going to look it up. I looked it up, and I was close. It's tenerumi, and you do have to remove the strings or filaments. Tenderoni. <laughs> Well, I don't see any cucumbers, but I do see some. But then I also grow... Remember I was telling you about um, Galka and Turia? It's a sponge gourd. There you go. That's what they are. Oh. And so I'm growing those too. And those seeds are from my mother-in-law. The, the loofah. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Oh, there it is. Mm -hmm. Oh, I see it. It's too many things growing in, in these two beds because of this. So it's hard. It's like cattle fencing bent over yeah. to make a beautiful squash trellis. Yeah, because, you know, we need these squashes. We love them. Mm -hmm. so. <laughs> these are all the peppers. We love spicy food. So we grow a lot of peppers, different types. I do Italian cherry peppers. I do um, cayenne. Um, I do the cow horn, cow horn peppers. So, yeah, mm -hmm. all kinds. Jewels of Opar, Talinum paniculatum, and water leaf, Talinum triangulari. Interesting. Underneath these peppers, you have another crop. Yes. Was that intentional or did it reseed itself? It, it just reseeds itself. <laughs> and I grow them for flowers because I sell flowers too from my garden. Mm -hmm. um, so I just make bouquets and just sell them. Well, these are edible as greens. Yeah, you told me that and I had no idea. I think this is more considered the ornamental species, mm. but I've heard you can eat these greens too. But we we offer seeds for the Nigerian water leaf, yeah. which is the same genus, very similar plant, mm. very delicious greens. Uh, I gotta try them. Mm -hmm. Very tender, yeah. succulent. Succulent. Yep, mm -hmm. that's the word. Red amaranth, amaranthus species. Do you eat the amaranth greens? Yes. Um, I harvested about a whole bed full of amaranth greens, this red one, which reseeded itself. And Dinesh and I, we, my husband and I, we really love them. And we just saute them in garlic, the fresh greens. Just eat them. Mm -hmm. Yum, yum. Well, someday I want to do an episode on amaranth greens because it seems pretty, like, pretty much like everyone in the world, especially the tropical and subtropical world, enjoy them yes. and they're they're awesome they're and i awesome. can't believe we didn't grow up eating them yeah. but now they're a staple in our so house nutritionist mm -hmm. you know nutrition packed mm -hmm. high high nutrition packed food mm 
Mm. It's really good and easy to grow. You oh, just yeah. sprinkle the seeds. They grow themselves. Mm. <laughs> oh yes. Tomato, Solanum lycopersicum. These are tomatoes. We love our tomatoes. Um, I save, I process the tomatoes into sauce. It's just tomato pulp and salt. Mm -hmm. And we use it in everything and anything. That's the best way to eat the summer tomatoes. And the, I feel like that's what distinguishes our food here at the house versus, um, you know, food that we eat somewhere else or someone else's house. It's this, this storing, saving of food for the winter from your garden. The flavor is just very, very different. It's very good. I wish more people did it. And I know I do understand it's, it's a lot of effort, a lot of hard work. And not everybody has the time and space. But I'm fortunate. I have it. And, and I decided to just stay home and do this. <laughs> <laughs> it's a beautiful life. <laughs> I don't know about that. Sometimes it can go crazy. but Because as you see the weeds, you know. It's crazy out here. Uh-huh. <laughs> I prefer tomatoes and sauce now too, and I make 50 quarts a year. Yeah, see? And so, yeah. we have one every week for the whole year. Yep. And it changes everything. The every umamis of a tomato sauce. Exactly. That this, you know, you, you buy, you can buy like tons of tomatoes in the summer from the store and make the sauce, but it's not the same. It's the grown, you've grown, the fresh grown from your garden or your farm, and then you make the sauce. The flavor is just insanely good. <laughs> but yeah, this is it. This is the farm, the little mini, mini micro farm. I like just imagining the journeys of each of these seeds, especially oh, yeah. the ones that are, you know, that you use so much in your cooking. Oh, yeah. From, for example, your mother-in-law's village to the oh, rooftop yeah. to your to your so garden back here and then yep. beyond. Yep, yep. This is one stop in the long journey. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> like you said, the journey of the seed. It travels far and beyond that you can even imagine. Mm -hmm. Well, I have one more thing to play for you from Tika and her father mm -hmm. um, as they think about the flavors that they miss from home. Yeah. Sure. When I came here, there was food was very scarce. Like all the items that I had in India was not available here. However, as the years passed by, more and more Indian food was introduced and people were started to buy the things were available for the people. And however, still certain vegetables, fruits are not available in as good of a quality as in India. That is one thing. Second thing is the taste that was not there then and that is not there now the same taste tasty food that you can buy in india you cannot buy here even to date so what foods i guess because you've had this disconnect what foods do you wish that you could have introduced to us that you couldn't introduce to us before mainly the fruits uh, such as mango, for example. Mango you cannot buy here of a taste that you can buy in India. 
uh, different varieties of mangoes available in India, which are very, very tasty. And uh, uh, another fruit is uh, amla. It's, in English, it's called gooseberry, which is very good for your health and very tasty fruit. There is third thing is falsa that I wanted you to have which is called sherbet berry in English, which is not available here as well. These fruits like falsa and amla, they are available, but they are in frozen section. You can buy only, not fresh. Or some like amla, you can buy also pickled amla, but you cannot buy fresh amla here. So, my question is if you guys can make here grow here rather uh, fruits such as mango especially that you can buy in india that they grow in india same kind of mangoes uh, falsa amla if you can do that that would be perfect yeah because we are really appreciative of the guvar being introduced now to the catalog. Yes, guar also you can buy here, but they are, they, that guar is not fresh at all. And the quality of the guar is also pretty poor quality. All right, cool. Thank you. Yeah, so I agree with him in a lot of things. Um, like he was mentioning, and I did tell you this too in the garden, that the flavor that we get from homegrown vegetables or fruit is just insanely much better high quality taste versus what you can find it at the store and that's how it is because the food travels so far to get to our table when you go to a store we don't know where it's been grown uh, how far it's been you know brought to us from and hence, that is when I started those so many years ago in that apartment, is I wanted to literally just decrease those mileage that the food traveled to get onto my table and my daughter's table. And so, um, yeah, hopefully people, and people are doing, especially with the pandemic, I think a lot of people have created these, you know, victory gardens like they did back in the 30s after the, you know during the great depression and so that's great to see uh regarding what tika's dad said about growing fruits well so dinesh's part some part of dinesh's family they live in florida and atlanta and so in florida they have been growing mangoes and um you know some indian fruits and vegetables like guava and stuff because of the climate you're able to grow. There is this farmer in Florida that is growing the Kesar mango from Western part of India. And of course, those flavors are delicious. Of course, we find very good mangoes here, but, and we are actually able to now, and again, Tika's dad migrated here in the eighties versus I came in 96. I was able to find a lot more things than he did and then now it's just out of this world how many things you can find in indian store from india like these mangoes in mango season that's crazy the different varieties of mangoes and we've bought them they're a little pricey 
not worth <laughs> giving the price. But if you really love the mango so much, you can buy one box and eat one box in that season. It's really good. Um, and I wanted you to try the gooseberries. So let me get it because my mother, she is very good for health. So, you know, at our farm, we have the gooseberry trees. So what she does is she cuts them up. She soaks them in salt and turmeric, and then she dries them. And then we just eat them like, like a mouth refresher after meals. It's great for digestion. Let me get you some. Sure. <laughs> Thank you. Wow. And these are not the same as what we would call gooseberry here. I looked it up. No, that's different. No, these are amla. They have sour and bitter taste. Wow. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's so much flavor in there. Yep. And it's dried fruit. Yep. It's like an explosion of mm -hmm. sourness. And they are high in vitamin C and other vitamins, but that I don't know of. But my mom does this just for health. Mm -hmm. And she... How often does she eat them? She eats them every day. Mm. Yeah. Wow. So have you ever tried growing tropical fruits here? I did. So I was successfully able to grow papayas for two years in a row. I even harvested them, the green papayas. I tried to grow the Hawaiian papayas, but that year was bad. And so I destroyed all my papayas and then I haven't grown them since. Um, mango, <laughs> I did um, sprout mango seeds. And I raised them for eight years, and then I just got tired of bringing them in in the winter and then taking them out in the summer. So I gave them to a friend. So I've tried avocados and stuff like that too. But it's it's hard to live here in in the east, and unless you have the infrastructure to grow stuff, it's hard. <laughs> but papayas are easy to do. They're manageable because it's, you know, it's a herbaceous crop versus a woody crop. And so it just requires nine months of care. And then you plant it outside and then it'll produce fruit. And of course, it's dioecious. So you have to do multiple dioecious, meaning it needs a male and a female plant, uh, plant because there are some plants that produce female flowers and some plants that produce male flowers. And so you do need multiple crops of um, papaya and if you have the space it's worth trying because it's a lot of fun <laughs> we're growing papaya this year because we work with the Karen community from Burma mm -hmm. who grow it for the leaves and they wrap like curries and things and eat them oh really just like as if like a way to pick up the food like we were using oh, okay. the bread the roti. The roti. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so we're growing it. I just got a fruit at the store, planted the seeds. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's so easy to grow. Then maybe we'll dig them up and keep some over the winter to see if we can get fruits next year mm -hmm. when we replant them. So try. This is what I did. You, you either do it in fall or you do it in spring. Sprout the seeds in pots. You keep them in the pot for nine months. And then you plant them outside. And you will have a crop. So again, you have to do succession planting for each year, but it's worth it. You think they'll, I can dig them up in the try fall? Try them, but they don't like to be disturbed much. So try them if you have, if you dig enough, big enough circumference, 
and gently get them. Yeah. Okay. Try. I can always just plant new ones this fall. Yeah, They're exactly. abundant in the markets. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but try Hawaiian ones because that one you will be able to harvest the fruit too, the ripe one. I mean, what I do is I just do it for the green papaya salad. But the Mexican papayas, they, they take forever to ripen. So, but the Hawaiian papayas is where it's at. Try that. That's an awesome <laughs> tip. Oh man, we should, maybe we should do a weekly garden um, podcast, yeah. just the two of us. That would be so much fun. <laughs> well, I have taken a lot of your time and I have really enjoyed it from the delicious meal to the garden talk to all the stories. I, I want to thank you very much. Oh, thank you. It was such a pleasure to have you over. Thank you so much, Owen, for everything. <laughs> thank you. Next, our son, Brian, wanted to ask some questions of Nita's son, Soham. Hello, my name is Brian. I would like to ask you a little question. What is your favorite dish from India? And if you were going to learn how to make a dish, what would it be? What's your favorite food from your culture, Brian? Greens and beans. That's it. Okay. Hello, my name is Soham Kakadia. I'm 18 years old, and my favorite Indian food is chole, puri, and ras. Chole is curried chickpeas, puri is fried dough, and ras is pureed mango pulp. If I could make one Indian food, I would make gadi and bath. Gadi is a yogurt and chickpea flour-based soup, and bath is just rice. And I would make it because it's very simple to make. Uh, bye. Thank you so much to Nital, Soham, and also to Tika and Mr. Krutart for sharing their stories with us. And thank you for listening and sharing this episode of Seeds and Their People with your loved ones. Please share this episode with someone you love and subscribe to our show in your favorite podcast app thank you also for helping our seed keeping and storytelling work by leaving us a review and also ordering seeds t-shirts and more from our website trueloveseeds.com and again if you'd like to support our podcast for one dollar or more monthly please join our patreon at patreon.com slash trueloveseeds and remember keeping seeds is an act of true love for our ancestors and our collective future